I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome a very special guest host today. Veteran sportscaster Lanny Mixon is the voice of SWA, serving as play-by-play commentator and studio host for the SWA Championship Wrestling, which is available on Fight TV. He also works as media director for SWA Promotions, the parent company of SWA Championship Wrestling, managing the SWA TV network. In addition to his use with SWA, he is the play-by-play announcer for Elevate Pro Wrestling in New Orleans, Louisiana. And prior to joining SWA Promotions, he served as the sports director for WFOR, the score 92.7, Fox Sports Radio in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and has also spent more than 10 years as an analyst for Yahoo Sports and Rivals.com covering college football and basketball. I think that's the most impressive resume of any of our guests so far, Lanny. Thank you very much for your time today, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. Well, great, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you and, and talking about... Uh, uh, the wrestling promotion that uh, that made me a wrestling fan. Well, that's great. Well, that is that leads not quite nicely onto my first question. So, what got you interested in the first place in wrestling? What what are some of your sort of early memories? Because um, I think people tend to look very fondly back on that that first little period that you were watching. Yeah, and, and no doubt there's a tremendous amount of nostalgia there. Uh, growing up in South Mississippi or really anywhere in Louisiana, Mississippi, East Texas, Oklahoma, parts of Arkansas, uh, during the early 1980s, uh, Mid-South would have been the product that was on your uh, limited choice of television stations on a on a weekly basis, whether you had, you know, like the three channels like I had growing up or, mm. or whatnot. Um, you know, there was going to be a, a local wrestling promotion on just about every one of them. And, and for us, Mid-South was, uh, was the product that was carried in our local TV markets. And every Saturday morning, uh, you know, it was right after, uh, Saturday morning cartoons, 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings. And, and, you know, you didn't miss it. Mm. I mean, it's quite crazy, isn't it? I often think of this when they do the occasional blood angles, which is not which is not a huge amount of uh, times in mid south. Um, but those blood those blood angles, I guess, rearing you uncut at sort of eleven a.m. on a Saturday morning, very very family orientated um, sort of time slot. And I guess this was a thing that a lot of families would watch together. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, and, you know, you're right. They used it, they used it very rarely in Mid-South. So I think when they did use it, the effect was, you know, was even multiplied. It, it was a big deal. Uh, you know, Bill Watts at that period of time, you know, not that I knew it, you know, as a, you know, as a seven, eight, nine year old watching the, the product, but, you know, he was, uh, he was so dedicated to kayfabe. I mean, he took this very, very seriously protecting the business. And, and when he did something like that, it was something big. It was something meaningful. And, uh, it wasn't done as an afterthought. No, absolutely not. And I think, I think that is, there's probably still a place for blood. I think even, even today in wrestling, but, but as you say, everything like that has got to be used sparingly for, for, for the most impact, really, I, I think. Um, so, what, what were some of you, who were some of your sort of childhood favorites? Who are the, who are the characters that sort of got you really invested to start off with? Well, you know, and, and we're going to get to see uh, uh, one of the guys later on in the episode. We're going to talk about the junkyard dog. Mm. You know, I I don't know that 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 folks who who were not in the mid south area at, at this period of time during the early eighties really have an understanding of how big junkyard dog was. 
I mean, he legitimately could have run for governor of Louisiana and probably won at this period of time. Um, I mean, the only thing that, that, that maybe some of your, your, um, UK listeners, uh, could relate to was I, you know, from what I have seen, um, of Big Daddy yes, at, at his yeah. height in the, you know, uh, in the feud with, um, uh, in the feud with Haystacks. Yes, you know, yeah. that's, that's what Junkyard Dog was across the southern United States. I mean, he was bigger than life. He would do a, uh, you know, he would do a personal appearance at a fast food restaurant and police would have to show up to direct traffic. I mean, it was, it was that kind of, um, you know, it was that kind of a show. And I mean, the, the venues that, that Mid South was selling out, uh, with Junkyard Dog during the early eighties, I mean, routinely, uh, selling out 10, 12, 15, 20,000 seat venues, um, on a routine basis for a small territory, um, you know, in about a four state area, you know, predominantly in a south, in the south, which was not a, you know, one of your more wealthy areas of the country, uh, especially during that period of time, just coming off of the oil depression, um, you know, in the late seventies. So, I mean, it, for folks who, who don't, who didn't see it live, I think it was really, um, I, I think it was really, uh, unbelievable what junkyard dog did now when you ha- talk about mid-south it's hard not to mention the midnight express uh the rock and roll express always uh jim Cornette right in there uh unbelievable matches but uh, uh, uh an individual that i really personally just absolutely loved as a kid was terry taylor uh, okay how interesting see i don't know I, so i i did i did chat with a um, gentleman that was um Grew up in the same sort of area, probably maybe similar age to you. And I was I was sort of going on about um, Magnum TA and how you know this and that. And I was so impressed with him. And he, and he and he actually mentioned that actually at the time that Terry Taylor was was probably more popular than Magnum. So oh, absolutely. Sounds, you know, similar thinking to you there. So Terry Taylor was the, was really the guy when he was promotion. Absolutely, Terry Taylor was Terry Taylor. Uh, outside of the Junkyard Dog, during the early '80s, was probably the top babyface uh, singles competitor uh, in the Mid South, which was a little bit unusual um, because uh, Mid South was a big man territory, mm. and Terry Taylor was not. You know, he was a six foot, you know, two hundred and fifteen, two hundred and twenty pounder, um, moved really well, excellent mat technician. Um, you know, one of the earliest memories I have of, of a big, big event, wrestling event, uh, was Ric Flair and Terry Taylor, uh, wrestling under the Mid-South banner at the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum in, uh, Biloxi. It would have been probably about a year after the match where we're watching here. It would be later on once, uh, Terry Taylor would win the Universal, uh, or the, um, the uh, North American Championship, mm-hmm. but uh, he was, and, and you got to remember, Magnum TA was so young when he was in um, Mid South, and he was only there for a very short period of time. Um, you know, before you know, before uh, making the jump to Jim Crockett Productions, and then you know, having the terrible auto accident, which was probably what a year and a half later after this episode yeah, we're going to watch it today. Was late 80s. Maybe late '86, I think, from memory. So, so yeah, not all that. I mean, what, 18 months or so on. Yeah. I think, from, uh, from where we were here, yeah. 
So, so, that, so that's Claire and, and Taylor. Were you there live for that, for that one? Yes. Oh wow! So, so was that? So, sorry, say the. Um, I think I might have it here. What was? The, can you remember? Was it the fairgrounds Coliseum? Ah uh, yes. So that was June the twentieth, nineteen eighty-five. Was that match? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, crikey! So that's um, that must have been quite something to see Ric Flair right in the right in his act, act, you know real real prime. That, that oh, absolutely! That and you, you see, that stage, yeah. yeah, and you see Ric Flair and, and Terry Taylor. From a from a wrestling standpoint, from a technical wrestling standpoint, and I know the people who who only remember Terry Taylor from the Red Rooster days and the uh, the abomination of that in WWF uh, really have no idea how great of a technical wrestler Terry Taylor was, but he was phenomenal. He was absolutely yeah. phenomenal, and several times he and Flair wrestled thirty minute Broadways. And, and you know, just phenomenal wrestling. I, th- I think that the, the thing for Terry Taylor, I mentioned this before, that some some promotions and some individuals in wrestling have a lot of goodwill associated with them. So if there's some you know periods of a, a certain wrestler's career where they weren't so good, well, actually they, that person's got a lot of goodwill, so we're not going to hold that against them. Now I think WWE uh, and m- mainly for their from their own doing, have got quite a lot of bad will. But let's say a New Japan or an AEW or someone like that, they've got a lot of goodwill, um, and and, it, and they they all blur the lines in terms of um, doing good and bad. But I think the Magnum and Terry Taylor thing is is is, is along those lines. I think for, for whatever reason, um, Terry Taylor is looked back on very much because of that run um, as the Red Rooster, and maybe some of the afterwards stuff that's um, spoken about him in, in terms of his sort of management positions and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that that really does go against him because I've been nothing but impressed with him. I mean, the crowd is—we see it later on in this episode. We're going to look at mm-hmm. the crowd is really behind this guy, um, and, he, and he's only young here, isn't he? He's, he's, I think he debuted in the late maybe seventy-nine, so he's not all yeah. that long in. Yeah, his he's probably here, what twenty-four, twenty-five. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is. Which is which is young for a wrestler, really? Because you think actually, unless you're a, you know a real high flyer, and perhaps you, you know maybe your early thirties might be your your peak, but if you're, you know, a proper heavyweight wrestler, really your your peak is, I'd say late, you know, mid to, mid to late thirties, because then you've got you've still got the athleticism, but then you've, you've also mm-hmm. got the psychology and the storytelling as well. So, um, yeah, he was born in fifty five, so he would have been uh, twenty nine ish around this, okay. this period, I think. A little yeah. older than yeah. I thought, but but still very much in the prime of his career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just doing the math there to make sure that I've, I've got that correct. Yeah, it's about 29, he would have been. Actually, just, just about to turn 30. Uh, no, yeah, 20, just about to turn 29, he turned 30 in 85. So, um, so that, that, that live event then, was, was that one of the first ones that you, you attended? Because obviously that, that sounds well, like it was one of the, it was one of the first big ones. You know, mm. um, in addition to Mid-South, you had, uh, in South Mississippi, you had, you know, the, uh, you had, NWA had affiliates in Mississippi. Uh, you know, uh, Mid-South was loosely affiliated with the NWA at this period of time, but they were not an official member. Uh, but they would still have NWA talent on cards from time to time. Um, but at that period of time, you would have had in South Mississippi, you would have had, um, you would have had the Calkins, uh, 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 running NWA Mississippi and they would run Hattiesburg. They would run, um, they would run Jackson. They would run a lot of the small towns. Uh, around South Mississippi. So, you know, we saw a lot of those events, you know, coming into the local high school gym. And, you know, it's kind of amazing looking back, um, you know, not uncommon small town Mississippi, um, you know, have um, six, seven, eight hundred people 
at a high school gym on a Thursday night. That's um, good, yeah. So you know, you, you know, the territory days um, for the for the younger fans who don't remember the territory days, uh, it really was a phenomenal time in wrestling because there was, you know, if you wanted to watch live wrestling, you could jump in the car and drive, you know, 25, 30 minutes and see live wrestling several times a week. That, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. I think that, that this, this period in, around this time, I think if you, especially if you one of the, one of the early adopters of cable television, I think this, this must be, um, you know, one of, one of the prominent times to be a wrestling fan. This probably ended the period where you had ECW, WCW, and the WWF all, all kind of pushing on in, in the probably 97 with all the mm-hmm. various talent moves and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I don't think you really get much better than that around, around, that, around that time. Um, so did, did you, did, were you, were you, when you were first sort of watching Mid-South around this time, what, what was your, and apart from the other, the other local affiliate, did you have um, much, I uh, uh, can't think of the right word, I was going to say, did you, did you, were you aware of the, the other promotions? That, did you, you, did you, you know, you were, touch yeah, absolutely. You know, I, every time we'd go to the grocery store, I'd, you know, I'd be by, you know, begging my mom to buy one of the wrestling magazines, uh, you know, the wrestler PWI, uh, World of Wrestling, um, you know, whatever they had in. So, yeah, I, you know, we would read up on them and me and my buddies, we would trade the magazines around because nobody, you know, nobody's parents was going to buy them all three copies. No. Yeah, that was, just, <laughs> no. that was just nonsense. So we, we would try to, you know, we would try to, uh, swap magazines around and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, it's amazing. I've still got a, a pile of them at my parents' house, uh, from, you know, from this period of time. So yeah, we, you know, you talked about the rankings that were in all of them and the stories and you'd read about what was going on down in Florida or what was going on, um, you know, with, uh, uh, in New York with, uh, with, uh, Hulk Hogan and, and everything that in, and also, you know, uh, also read about what's going on in, uh, up, up north with the NWA. I'm sorry, the AWA. So yes, yeah, we were, yeah. we were aware of it. But there was no television for it. The only news you would get, uh, you know, some of the older guys would, you know, would have people they'd swap, you know, old VHS tapes with, uh, mail them, you know, back and forth across the country. But, you know, as kids, we never had that. We had the magazines and we had Mid-South on TV. And then a couple of years after this, you know, they would start, that's when the WWF would, would really start pushing nationwide and trying to do the, uh, Saturday night main event. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that that moves nicely. So, so when around around sort of what time do you, do you remember sort of time period wise where some of this stuff was available in, you, in your home to watch other you know other promotions other than your your sort of home promotion? Mid-day? Well, you know, a little bit later on, or, or about this time, the uh, out of you would have basically we had three television channels. We had an ABC, an NBC. Um, and the CBS, and uh, you had the NBC out of Hattiesburg, um, it, which had uh, which had Gulf which had the Gulf Coast wrestling on it, and then you had uh, at the ABC channel off of the Mississippi Gulf Coast is where the Mid South was at. Okay. And then every once in a while you could pick up Channel Five out of Mobile, and Channel Five out of Mobile carried Continental uh, out of Memphis. Ah, Mets, okay, yes, which carried uh, all. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, um, that, that's, you know, the, as far as, you know, the Gulf Coast wrestling was very, very localized. 
but then you had the mid south and then you had uh then you had Memphis which Memphis was was uh it was kind of wild. It was, you know, and there were, and even as a kid, you knew that, that that the wrestling in different places was a little different. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that 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 must have been quite something to, to be able to get oh, get all those um, different sort of promotions cu- coming in. So, w- w- when was when do you think your first exposure to the WWF was, and what, what uh, in terms of actual seeing it, and and did that did that uh, sort of different production values did that have an impact on you sort of or did you were you were you always thinking actually Mid South is my you know my home promotion? A lot of people have sort of said that the, the wrestling that they grew up with um, was almost uh, almost the, the more real. And I'm not sure whether people I think people at different stages have, have always sort of known that there's you know there's more to this than meets the eye perhaps. Um, well, a lot of people you know. felt that that was their, 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 my wrestling is real, whereas the New York stuff or the you know the, the Minneapolis stuff or whatever is that that's that's not the real wrestling up there kind of thing. Well, you know, I think there were, uh, you know, I, I don't recall specifically having those feelings, uh, you know, during this period of time, because you, you talk about, you know, um, I'm seven, eight, nine, ten years old during this time period, uh, born in 77. Um, you know, really the first exposure to WWF would have been through the Saturday night main events. Yeah. I guess they'd have been on the NBC channel that you got. Wouldn't I right. Yeah. And, and they, they put them on late at night. They put them on like after the news. And I always remember, um, you know, I'd, I'd get my mom, I'd talk to my mom and, and I'd talk, I'd go to bed at like five in the afternoon <laughs> where, uh, she would wake me up at 10 and then I could watch it. And, uh, you know, and he'd go off at midnight and then go back to sleep and get up the next morning, go to church and all that good stuff. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's some very vivid memories and, and I was probably nine or 10 years old when, when I, I guess probably, 86, somewhere around 86 is, is probably when we started getting the, uh, Saturday night main event on our, on our local TV. Oh, really? Okay. So 86 would have been, um, probably maybe, uh, so that would have, so I think that they probably were maybe four or five episodes in there because they had the, the one in February 86, which was the, um, the, the build up to the, uh, the Hulk Hogan King Kong Bundy match at WrestleMania. So I guess it probably would have been maybe around that time or perhaps, perhaps sort of afterwards, yes. perhaps. That, that, that sounds about right because I, you know, see, without, without really going back and looking and, and, and researching exactly, you know, I, I want to say that, um, that some of the King Kong Bundy Hogan stuff was, was those very early episodes that we were able to get on Saturday, uh, Saturday night's main event with WWF. So, you know, that absolutely was my real first exposure to it. And then after, you know, that started getting a little bit popular. One of my good friends, his parents got a, uh, an old traditional satellite dish. Okay. Where, yeah. Where you could, where you could start actually, you know, in those days, you could catch a live feed of WrestleMania. And, and I think even some of these may have been before it was pay per view when it was just closed captioning. They could just catch a feed, you know, being, oh, you know, really? being shot down. Yeah. Wow. It was okay. totally not even pay per view. It was just, you could find the right satellite and watch whatever was up there. So they could, they could, they could um, basically get into the closed circuit forecast. And, and, and so that was really, that was, yeah, we probably had to move the dish in a certain direction or certain coordinates to get that. Yeah, so it, it was. And, back then. And, and these things were astronomically expensive. You're talking about like five, $6,000 back in the early eighties. So they were just astronomically expensive. So, 
uh, you know, so we got to watch some wrestling, um, you know, that way as well. Mm. So what was at that time at, at, at school, so I guess you were well, 86, you were like nine, nine, ten. Were, mm-hmm. were most of your friends into, into the WF or were a lot, a lot of people into Mid-South? Was it, was it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Kind it was big. Of, I mean, in, 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 yeah. And, you know, growing up in, in, in the South, especially South Mississippi, a lot of my friends were really into it. Um, you know, we were into, uh, wrestling, baseball, and fishing probably in that order. And that's, that's what we did growing up is, uh, watched a lot of wrestling. Uh, you know, everybody watched Mid-South, but then as, as WWE became, or WWF at the time became more pro- prevalent, yeah, we continued to watch it, absolutely. Mm. That's interesting. So, so was it a thing where actually quite a lot of people were quite happy to watch, you know, the more local wrestling and, and also the WWF at the same time? Or was there a bit, a, was there a bit of a, a bit of a clash between, you know, clash is probably too strong of a word, but I, I remember in the late 90s here, um, you had the people at school that preferred, let's, let's give an example, you had the people at school that preferred Bill Goldberg and the people that preferred Steve Austin. And there was like sure. a bit, it was a bit of banter between the two. But w- was it like that? Was it, oh, actually Mid-South is better than WF or some people thought WF was better? Or did it all, was it all, you know, relatively friendly in the sense that you know, everyone could get along and watch everything? You know, as, as far as I can remember, Stephen, and, and I could be, you know, um, I could be wrong on this, but as far as I mean, we just watched whatever and we liked it all. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, that's the way it should be, really. I, I don't think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of that today, I think, especially with um, a lot of the kind of what I would describe as, and we'll move on to, because I'm interested in hearing what you're watching now. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think that there's a lot of um, people that are kind of a little bit in the WWE bubble where it's like, like you know, no, no, no one can, they can't do any wrong. And actually, I can't watch this. I can't watch that because I'm, you know, WWE for life kind of thing. But actually, I, I agree. I think you should just be able to find enjoyment. If, if wrestling's good, it, it can be produced by anybody. And if it's bad, it can be just produced by anybody. And I think that that's the best way to be a fan. Just keep an open mind and, you know, enjoy what you enjoy, really. And um, so back back then, did the WF, lo- did they come to your, your um, sort of local uh, area and did you remember going to see any of their live shows around that around that sort of period? You no, know, not not until later. Not mm. not until later. Um, you know, Vince didn't you know didn't make that uh, initial push into the uh, into the you know into this territory until well after you know Watts had had sold out to uh, to Jim Crockett Promotions. Yeah. And then even for a time after that, you know, I, I do remember. You know, later on, you know, probably, um, 92, 93, maybe, yeah, definitely 92, 93, maybe a little earlier than that. Uh, WWF coming to the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum, coming to New Orleans, coming to Jackson, Mississippi, to the fairgrounds. So yeah, they, they, uh, they eventually did, but it would be a few years. Yeah, I and mean, they've done a couple, couple of WrestleManias in, in New Orleans. I was lucky enough to go yes. to the second one that wasn't as good as the first one. Did you did you make it down to either of those? Yeah, I have not. I did did not get to take for it to now. Uh, the next time it's pretty close like that, uh, I probably will because I've got a I've got an eleven year old now that's uh, that's uh, that's pretty into wrestling. Oh, that's well, that's great. I mean, that's that's a, that's a good ex- as good an excuse as any to um, to go to a WrestleMania. So that, that's great. Um, so did you, what, questions I haven't, I mean, we're skipping ahead a little bit in the history of Miss South here, which I, I don't think you can give spoilers away when you're um, sort of 30 years after the event. But did the, um, 
did the sale, the UWF sale, ultimately um, was it? You know, was that was that quite a big deal um, in in the vicinity in the sort of traditional mid south towns? Because obviously that must have been to, to kind of lose your home promotion. I'd imagine it would have been quite a quite a wrench, really. Yeah, it, it was. It, it was. It was really. Um, it, it was unexpected, you know, for for the wrestling fans um, that that I knew. But at the same time, um, you know, even then we understood why what they were trying to do with it. Um, I, you know, and now looking back, you know, as somebody that's you know that's been in business and finance for you know, their entire professional career and kind of looking back and, and, and researching a little bit on how, you know, they had the opportunity to make it work, but they just, they, they, they failed so bad logistically. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was just one of those things where, um, where they didn't move fast forward enough. Yeah, and I think I think it's, it's sad. I think there's um there's a there's a lot um of promotions that were sort of similar to this that had a had a chance um to do something and to really sort of crack forward and, and maybe become ultimately that 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 number two promotion in the states. Because I think that there is there is scope for two proper full time national promotions in the states now, um, and I think they can make money. And actually. With the, with the TV deal that AEW signed at, towards, towards the start of this year to, to renew with TNT for another two years, um, actually they were making money. So actually you had, for the first time in a long time, two promotions nationally in the US making money. Um, but I think Mid-South, I mean, their booking was, was, was pretty great. I mean, this is the reason I'm doing the podcast because the AWA is this world, obviously WCW, world class. They all had the, the, the long documentary treatment um, by the WWE when they got their tape libraries. But Mid-South, mm-hmm. um, it was all much later. So actually, there's not a lot known about. I don't think for fans like me in the UK, where we grew up on WWF and a bit of WCW, like all of these, these, these stars that we all knew later are all here, really, pretty much. A lot of them are. All these people that come in and out. And, and oh, Steve, Steve you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember when Shawn Michaels was a jobber in Mid South. Mm. Yeah, Michael Hickenbottom. He used his real name, didn't he? I think. Uh, well, for a little while he did, but then he had, he had changed over to to Shawn Michaels after he had started convincing. Uh, after Watts had kind of become convinced that he would, um, you know, that he had a little bit of potential. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose he went from there to AWA, I guess. Uh, from there, and, he, and, he, and that's, I think that he was, he was with Marty in AWA, wasn't he? He's a Midnight Rockers, and they yes. moved to the WF from there, didn't they? But yeah, I mean, it's mm-hmm. such an interesting motion, but their, their booking is so good. And I think you touched on earlier on around, um, sort of Rock and Roll Express, and this period here is really interesting. So I think this is the, the kind of Memphis talent, um, I don't think, I'm not sure exchange is the right word, but a lot of talent came from Memphis along with Bill Dundee as the booker. And actually, yep. you said earlier about the big man, big man promotion. This is the real, um, advent of the promotion moving a little bit away from that and having it is. Um, a more athletic style, which is really interesting. But this, this stuff, I mean, I find myself getting getting invested in. I mean, this we'll talk about it later on. But this TV title match that um, was on, I was thinking that they get because I don't know any of the results of this stuff, so I'm watching this week by week, and I, mm-hmm. I haven't looked forward. I've got all the wrestling observers for a year, and I, um, for this year I've, I've purchased online, and I haven't read any of them forward about the mid south. So I don't want it. I, you know, obviously, I know what happens with the universe and stuff, but the, 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 the real um, minutia of these shows, I don't, I don't know what happens. Right, the I mean, and I find days. myself get, yeah, I find myself getting into these these matches from 1984, and it's because the booking's um, it, it largely is so well done. I mean, it's a, 
there are the odd, you know, very 80s things in it. But actually, this 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 this, this holds up pretty well, I think. And um, so, as sorry, go, go ahead. Well, you know, obviously there are, you know, looking back, you know, if you view it through the, you know, through the lens of 2020, it all does look very 80s. But looking at it from a contemporary viewpoint, you know, with me kind of looking back through, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a, a cloud of nostalgia, um, you know, they were just they in a lot of instances, what we look at as being super 80s was super up to date. It was. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it yeah. was very, very modern. The fast cars, the music, you know, really starting coming into, you know, um, uh you know, a lot of in this period of time, there was there were not a lot of promotions that were using entrance music. No, yeah, and so, entrance music was great as well. They, they they did a really good job. That's why these shows on YouTube are, are so much better than the network versions because they've got this mu- the original music, which, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah, the, the, and the video packages are so so good. The thing I think is well, I don't know if you watched WCW the first probably. The, the, the nitros are up to around when the NWA, NWO was born, um, mm-hmm. especially the hour nitros. This is ve- that is very similarly booked to this hour television show. The only difference being, obviously, they're pushing towards pay per views, whereas this is sure. house shows. But this is this is named talent versus each other. A lot of uh, non finishes, which is completely understandable on television. You get some enhancement matches, and it's quick fire, rapid wrestling. Big, something big, on to the next thing, something big, on to the next thing. This is what's happening next week, 100 miles an hour, and it just works. And I can see why these people, you know, why would you not buy a ticket to go and see, um, you know, the Midnight Express versus Staggerly and Bill Watts? And, you know, well, you, you'd, you'd absolutely want to. And, and the Rock and Roll Express and Magnum and all the guys and Terry Taylor, etc. I can see why this, this, this point in time was, was doing so well, really. Um, as, as time moved forward, did you did you sort of... Were you, did you keep up with things as the late 80s turned into the 90s? And was there ever a time you sort of moved away from, from watching wrestling? Well, you know, I think there were there were a couple of times, really. Uh, number, you know, number one, um, you know, after the, you know, after the, the whole um, WWF takeover, basically. And you still had the NWA out there, but everybody knew it was kind of struggling. I kind of faded off then. Yeah. And and then honestly, um came back, um came back probably started getting interested again, uh senior year in high school and then into college. Okay. And what you know, we've watched it. Let's see, that would have been uh ninety five through okay. ninety nine. So that's that is that is the birth of Nitro, isn't it? Late the late ninety five. Yes. That's a really interesting time to be watching it again. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, getting back in and like you said, um, very reminiscent from a stylistic standpoint, the early nitros to what I, you know, cut my teeth on with uh, with the old Mid-South. So enjoyed that quite a bit. And and then into the Monday Night Wars, you know, the Monday Night Wars really started uh, when I was in college living in the fraternity house. And, you know, we would would have all the couches in the big chapter room. Two big screen TVs up, you know, uh, you know, somebody was catching a Stone Cold Stunner before the end of the night in the middle of the chapter room every oh, Monday I bet that night. That was so great. I'm so jealous uh, of stuff like that because you, I mean, I'm sure you probably know, but our, um, so obviously Raw is 
what time's it? Like one a.m. in the morning here. Yeah. And like we used to stay up for pay per views and stuff here quite a lot. But it's it's very different watching. Um, trying to trying to convince your friends to stay up till four in the morning is one thing. UFC is the worst. Well, UFC pay per views here at three a.m. till six a.m., which is horrific. Um, but yeah, so it's, I'm I'm always very jealous of hearing the stories of sort of all the boys getting together and watching the live roars and pay per views and stuff. It's just not something that really happens here because of the time, unfortunately. But sure. that must have been such good, such good fun. I'm sure it was incredible. And no wonder you look, look, look back on that fondly because that was, you know, that was pretty must watch week by week when when, when those, those promotions were really rolling. It, it was, and then you know, it just kind of it, it kind of faded again. It got a little bit too ridiculous for me. Uh, you know, getting finished with college, getting, you know, started with my career and everything. And then, you know, probably about three years ago is when I really started getting back into wrestling. My son started becoming really interested in it. Um, that's when I met Steve Starr, um, the, uh, the booker for, uh, SWA promotions. And he kind of started pulling me back into it, wanting me to get involved. I was still at the, at the radio station at that period of time. And, um, you know, and, and really kind of, kind of started getting back into it, uh, with the NWA as well, which I, I, I watch a, a almost ex- everything I watch is, um, well, I, I should say I watch all of the NWA product, uh, yeah. right now. Yeah. So, you know, um, so I, I guess right now, I, I guess you would say I, I'm entering into my third or I'm in the middle of my third, uh, stint of, of really being involved and interested in wrestling. Oh, that's great. So, so that's that's a good point. So you're watching the NWA Power Show, which I've heard great things about, but I haven't had a chance to watch any. But I think over the coming weeks with the lockdown situation, hopefully I'll, I'll have some time to watch that. So what other stuff are you are you finding yourself sort of watching more often than not at the moment? You know, really uh, from from a times it's uh, I probably of the WWF products I probably watch more SmackDown than I do anything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just because of the time. And everything. Uh, watch a little bit of the Monday night stuff. You know, I, I'd be, you know, I'd be lying if I said I watched, you know, all 37 hours or whatever if it is <laughs> WWE programming every week. Yeah, no, no. I do think they're doing some really good stuff. I think they're doing some really terrible stuff. Um, I'll be honest, I've not, I've not been able to get into AEW, and, oh, and it okay. it it bothers yeah. me. And I and I'll tell you why. Because they have two of my absolute favorite active, you know, current wrestlers with, uh, with Moxley and mm-hmm. Jericho. Yep. Absolutely love both of those guys. They have my all time favorite announcer in yep. Jim Ross. They're fixing to have my favorite current tag team in the revival. Yes. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, I have zero interest in what they're doing. Really? How many did, did you have you have you watched? Did you watch at the start and then just sort of? I did. I did. I, yeah. I watched probably the first month, month and a half, two months of it, and there was nothing in there that I was remotely interested. And, and you know, I watched the All In, um, you know, pay per view. Mm. Watched the the NWA seventy with with Cody and all. You know, that was part of the build up to it and. And I, the, they got everything started, and it was just like, I don't know if, and I, I begin to, I begin to believe on with me on this, is that I misunderstood what Cody wanted AEW to be, mm. 
and I had a completely different perception of what they were going to do than what they've done. And because of my misconception on what they were going, I became so disappointed early that I've just become disinterested completely. And, 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 and I'm, and I'm going to say that's more on, you know, that's, that's potentially more on me than it is anything they're doing. Because right now I couldn't tell you a single storyline of anything that they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think I talked about this last week. I would, if I had to give them a rating out of 10 from them, from their start, and I think I've watched everything of theirs, interest, interesting, uninterestingly, the guy that is in charge of their creative is the, also the, basically his family also own the soccer or football team I support in the UK. So there's there's a weird crossing over of worlds there. Um, anyway, um, so I've, I probably I, I probably would be more I'm more interested in it than I would have been anyway because of that I think. And I've watched right. everything they've done. I, I wouldn't give them more than a seven out of ten from, from start to finish. Um, and I do think I do think okay. So the first five or six weeks I thought they were presenting a very I mean it wasn't groundbreaking. I thought they were presenting a very simple wrestling product um, with promos that were non-scripted and they just they just built things up and made things kind of important around sort of title matches and the things you would expect. There's a little bit of silliness in there towards towards Christmas, which they pulled away from. And actually, um, I really didn't like their paper, their last pay-per-view. There was lots of stuff I had a lot of problems with. Though um, the tag team match with Hangman Page and Kenny Omega versus the Young Bucks is probably one of the best matches I've ever seen. So it's like you've got this what, this shining light and another paper, and the rest of the pay-per-view. In fact, the Moxie Jericho match, um, I had a big big problems with the, the story in that. Um, the way that they they promoted that was was quite odd. Not promotion, the way, the way they they did that was quite odd. But um, this is probably too long-winded to go into my my negative thoughts about that. So I I, 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 give, I give them you know somewhat um, you know passing grade if you like. But I do think that there, there, there's a lot of um, I don't think they've quite found their identity yet in terms of what they what they're trying to be. Um, I think their their promotion towards a pay per view is very very strong, uh, but it falls off a cliff a little bit afterwards because they've only got four pay per views a year. And actually, until you get about six weeks out from pay per view, it's almost like they're going through the motions. And obviously, everything's been cut dead in its tracks because of lockdown and an and empty arena wrestling. Have, have you seen much? Uh, actually, going back a step, have you did you watch any anything of WrestleMania? You know, I've watched bits and pieces of it, but mm. but I have not watched the either night of it in its entirety. You no, know, I, I know it's yeah. yeah, I know it's tough, and you know, uh, the empty arena situation, man, it's difficult to deal with because we yeah. have had we've had to go and, and shoot uh, some empty arena uh, matches for our uh, television product with uh, SWA and announcing, um, you know, in our our empty. Our empty building has been at our our training academy, mm. uh, and it's tough, man. It is. It's tough to announce. It's tough for the uh, it's tough for the guys in the ring. Uh, you know, it, it just because you know for an ind- for an independent promotion, you know, we draw anywhere from two to six hundred on a you know on a regular basis. Mm. So so we have pretty good crowds, and, and we put these you know we put these in small venues. So you've got a lot of people really close to the ring and creates a really, really nice atmosphere. Um, and to not have those fans there, uh, to me, it show it, it just 
solidified for me in my mind how important the fans are for wrestling. Yeah, I can and, and I think that 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 from our small scale experience to what you see with with WWF and and I assume AEW as well, these empty arena matches it, it really you know it really shows how big of a part of of the overall you know production the fans really are they they play yeah. a huge huge role the, the only difference um, and i think WWE has some restrictions on this because they have taped everything in florida and i understand understand all the all the rules are different state to state there um but i think the only difference that AEW did for, mo- for, for i think they've done now four empty arena shows and for three of them um when they've been able to they've had some wrestlers scattered at ringside and to create some noise, they've had kind of heels one side, baby faces the other, and they've all been separated. Uh, but that's that's the the pack they've taken. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the WWE. I watched the first night of wrestling. I stayed up for that, and I found it really difficult. The AJ Styles Undertaker match I found really, really, really difficult to watch, which is the kind of cinematic one where Undertaker teleported right. and set something fire with his arms. But um, it was it was a tough watch. And actually, I was listening to um, Dave Meltzer on the Observer Radio this morning, and they were talking about. Um, Actually, whether for the for, for the for the big, big match WWE, whether actually there's going to be more long-term harm caused by presenting this product that they can't, you know, it can't be it can't be wrestling. And I actually think wrestling is one of the sports. I mean, just to hear your your business as well. I think wrestling is one of the sports that actually is most hurt by no crowd. I think actually, if you put a um, you know a technical sport, I mean, I've seen some there was there was a UFC from Brazil that was just before lockdown happened, um, and that you know it was okay, you know. I've seen a few few football matches, a few soccer matches with no crowd. It is a tough watch, but again, you've got things that are happening on the pitch that you can watch. I guess, what, what would you think some of the traditional American sports? I mean, I think wrestling's down the bottom in terms of what would work without that crowd, really. You know, uh, it, it probably is. You know, having having covered a lot of college sports uh, in in my time, I mean, you know, there, you know, there are there are small colleges in the U.S. that you know they'll play in a you know, a 60,000 seat stadium have 2,500 fans there. That's not much yeah. difference than an empty arena. So, so that happens. Uh, you see that from time to time. Uh, I think a lot of, of players, especially for American football, you get so into a zone, you really tune everything out anyway. So I, you know, um, you know, the crowd gets into it at times, but I really think it's more about what's going on in front of you. Wrestling, you know, and and I, and I think that, that there's a big difference between sports entertainment and wrestling too, in professional wrestling. And I and I, I think that 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 both really feed off the crowd so much, and they're such a big part. Is that yeah? I think you're right. I think it's one of the ones that one of the ones that that really suffers from from no crowd is professional wrestling. Now, will this cinematic portrayal? That the WWE put with their with their boneyard match is it going to affect wrestling? No. Is it going to affect sports entertainment? Who knows? Because let's be honest, I don't know. In my opinion, and look, I'm an old school guy, Stephen. You you probably realize that by now. You know, a dude kicking out of 47 finishers, jumping off of 19 <laughs> ladders, doing yeah, all yeah. this. To me, that. That hurts things every bit as bad, maybe more than what what WWE did with the cinematic production of the Boneyard match. Mm. I mean, if we're talking about things that that take away from from the realism, 
you know, WWE showed us a movie. Yeah, you I, know. I think you're, you're absolutely right with that. Um, I, think, I think one of the things that's really missing for me in wrestling now is, and I think both promotions need it, WWE and AEW, um, New Japan is a bit different because obviously uh, you, haven't got, you haven't got the weekly television and it's not it's just not the same really in terms of it, it's a slightly different um, you, the, the ultimate destination is the same with wrestling matches but it's just a different way of getting there um, mm-hmm. but I think that you, you need both promotions need a quality control person someone with some maybe I was going to say someone with some experience but it doesn't necessarily have to be and all their job should be is does this make sense if this was real does this make sense? I think if you if you're working a promotion with that as a central point, and we all know, you know, you're not going to be doing a moonsault in a real five. I know there's all there's you know actually there's there's all sorts of different plot devices and things that make wrestling better. Um, but actually, I think that I think that both the both the major US promotions are guilty of that too too often. And like the like that Jericho Moxie thing I, I talked about earlier on, that the main crux of the story on that match was Moxie de- pretending that his eye that had been damaged that he had a patch over. And pretending that that was still damaged, so that if it, if it came up, the the ending sequence was basically him revealing that he could see out of that eye when Jericho attacked the other one. But it's like, well, what if he didn't attack the other one? Like that doesn't make any sense. And I completely agree with what you say. Um, that sort of thing, and the you know Canadian destroyer, one of those devastating looking moves in wrestling, becoming like a setup move now, and like people just kick out of it on two, and it's just nothing. I think all those things hurt quite a lot, actually, in different ways. And I also think for every wrestling fan, wrestling is a very um, subjective sport, obviously. And I think every one of us has got the things, their, their pet peeves and their lines, I think. And for you, it might be the kickouts or the, or the finishes, uh, on the finishes. For me, it might be just, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like this, I, can't, I can't handle this. Like, I, you, you've lost me because of that. And I think sure. you've got, got to be careful with that sort of thing, definitely. Well, you know, um, and you, that's one of the things that I, that has, that has so drawn me to NWA mm. is that they protect their finishers. For the most part, everything that they, everything that they're doing makes sense. And on top of that, it, it does have that old school feel. Look, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fan of the the 37 high spots. I'm not a fan of 17 flips. I mean, they, you know, I respect, you know, the these guys have the ability to do this, but when a match starts to look choreographed for me, I can just turn it off and, and, because I have no interest in that. You know, it, one of the things for those of us who are in wrestling whether if you're on a very small scale like I am or whether you're in a position like Tony Khan or Vince McMahon, you know, at some point, look, we all know what wrestling is, but at least try to fool me. Make the effort to give me a product that I'm because what we have found on our very small scale is that if you present professional wrestling is a serious, legitimate sport with a struggle with a consistency, with a level of consistency, people will buy it. People still yeah. want to believe. Hell, Stephen, we had a we had an old woman come out of the crowd with a knife. Oh, <laughs> a few week, a few months wow. ago. I mean, I, if you're doing this the right way, you're still going to get that emotional buy-in and that reaction from your fans. Yeah. That's what we've been very, very lucky and very, very blessed to have here in South Mississippi is to gain that emotional buy-in. And when things are out there that, like you said, that they just they just 
flipping don't make sense or they look like they're choreographed. Um, you can't get that buy-in. You may yeah, get a this is awesome ch- chant because you got two guys out there that are really acrobatic. I mean, I coined the term spot monkey ballet because I, I you know, there's some matches out there that, that kind of fall into that term is all they're doing is, is doing high spots and it, it's, it's obviously a routine. You'll never get emotional buy-in with that. I'm not saying you can't get some cheap pops. I'm not saying that there isn't a group of fans out there that are really into the athletic, you know, really flippy floppy high flying stuff. And I'm not saying that it doesn't take some, some, a lot of athletic ability to do it, but it depends on what you're after. If, if that's the crowd you're after, that's great. But, yeah, I'm not, yeah sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. you know, that's not what we're after at SWA. Yeah, I'm, I think you're absolutely right. And I, th- I think one the example I think of this, and, and I think he would be, he would say himself, his his style has evolved. Um, but he, he still does a lot of the big moves. But they, I think they, I personally think they look more like a fight now than it, than it probably did sort of five or six years ago. It's Will Ospreay. So he he's a, he's a super high flying guy, mm-hmm. but he's he's become more of a heavyweight wrestler. And he's a heavy he's in the heavyweight division in New Japan now. And actually, when I watch his matches, there is a struggle. There is, you know, there is the, the, the things that he does that are high flying make sense. The fast exchanges are they don't look so choreographed because there is a struggle. And I think I think that's the key. Um, you know, re- wrestling wrestling is uh, is always going to be evolving and changing. And I think all of us. I mean, I'm I'm approaching forty myself now, so all of us are going to really look back on. I mean, I watched um, Ultimate Warrior and, R- and Randy Savage the other day first time in a couple of years, the WrestleMania 7 career match where Elizabeth comes out at the end. It's probably my favourite favorite moment in wrestling history, one of the mm-hmm. first WrestleManias I've been watching. And I just, I watched that match, it's like, they, they're not doing all that much in this match. In terms, I mean, Randy Savage is obviously an incredible worker. Um, they're not doing, you know, there, there's no flips, you know, Randy came off the top, top rope a few times, but the crowd was eating it up. They were absolutely eating it up, and everything was timed so perfectly. And like, if that's not a five-star match, and I don't know what one is, and, and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, another another good one, actually, from, from last year was Cody and Dustin Rhodes. Uh, I mean, that yes. was, again, that was a bloodbath. Again, there's no... You're, you're absolutely right. I think... And, and AEW, actually, to give them their due, on their countdown shows, they present it like a UFC countdown show or like an HBO 24-7 boxing countdown show. Um, so actually, there are some. It, it's just a bit of a weird blurring of lines. I think for them, they've just got to work out what their identity is and just go with it and stick with it and give it some time. Um, so yeah, tell me, Danny, more about your your work in SWA Championship Wrestling. I, I, I should have more time. I, I did I did catch um, a little bit of the last show you had on on um, Fight, and I thought that you know it's, it's quite incredible watching a, an independent promotion with such incredible production values and the graphics and stuff. I just thought this is this is phenomenal. So obviously, a lot of time is is put into this, and I'm going to try and try and catch some more. But yeah, tell, tell me about how long you've been working there and sort of what, what your roles are and, and all about it, really. Well, you know, SWA um, Promotions is the parent company of SWA Championship Wrestling, and, and everything kind of started, you know, I guess almost four years ago now. Um, uh, August will be four years ago. Um, uh, old school Steve Starr, uh, longtime veteran professional wrestler through the uh, – through the, uh, uh, Gulf Coast Championship Wrestling, the old NWA, or, uh, NWA affiliate from Mississippi, came up during that era wrestling, you know, a lot out of Mobile, kind of came up with that group with Bob Holly and uh, William Moody and who you know now is uh, Paul Bearer. 
Yeah. Um, you know, that group there, um, Steve, um, put SWA back together, put SWA together here in South Mississippi, doing some fundraisers, different things for uh, some local high schools and volunteer fire departments and that sort of thing. And, you know, um, I, you know, saw some of the stuff that they were doing on Facebook and I hit him up. I said, hey, Steve, um, got a big um, fundraiser coming up for the local high school. Won't you come be on our radio show? So we had him, had Steve on the radio show and he brought a couple of the wrestlers out with him. We had a great time talking, you know, talking old mid south, really kind of promoting the show that's going on. And, uh, Steve and I really kind of hit it off. So had him on the show three or four more times over the next couple of years talking about the, uh, the radio, you know, the, um, the SWA. And, you know, he, um, one week when he was on, he says, Hey, you know, my ring announcer is going to be, out of town, would you like to come ring announce for me? And I okay, said, sure, right, I'll yeah. come ring. Yeah, I'll come ring announce for you. So I did that a couple of times for him and kind of became the regular ring announcer over a little bit of time. And then, you know, he and I started talking about trying to, you know, trying to get it back to where the old days was in the territory days when your independent promotions, um, you know, or some of them were even affiliate promotions had local TV. And I said, you know, Steve, I've got some contacts. I think, um, I think we can put this together and make this happen. So I reached out to some, some guys that I knew in the film uh, industry uh, who just happened to be huge pro wrestling fans, um, really big New Japan fans. Oh, and, yeah. And they came, you know, and they said, you know what, this is an interesting project. So we were just kind of able to pull all of this together, and, and I kind of started with the, um, you know, with the play-by-play, and I've been through a couple of different um, different. Um, you know, co-host now, but I got a really good, uh, co-host of, you know, a 30 year veteran sportscaster, um, Kelly Sander, who's, uh, who's my color commentator, does a fantastic job. We've got a great ring announcer in David Sutton. Now he does not have the wardrobe stylings that you will see in the old mid south. <laughs> I, I, I am a bit remiss, you know, to, you know, to let you know that, but it just kind of evolved. We picked up one local TV station in the Hattiesburg market. Then we were able to pick up one in um, central Mississippi. And then we were able to pick up one on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And then we were able to get the contract with Fight TV. And then we were able to pick up another, um, uh, you know, local television station, too. So now we get, I don't know, six, seven, eight television stations along terrestrial broadcast television stations along with our, our, um, our show on fight TV. So, you know, in the, in the period of about two years, um, we've really come a long way and, and the production value has gotten better and better, um, almost by the episode. So we're, we're really, you know, we're really proud of our partnerships with Ty Lee films and also, uh, WCO productions who, who head up our, our camera work and our post-production. And it's, it's been a, it's been, man, it's been a fun ride getting from where we were three years ago to where we're at today. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Was it, was it easy to get, uh, not easy, was it difficult? What was the process to get on fight? Because obviously that, that's, that's something that anyone in the world can watch that. So you, it's all sure. you've got a worldwide audience potentially. To your, well, your you fire. know, the, the process with fight is really, Putting in front of them a product that they're willing to endorse, that they're willing to say, you know what, this product is good enough to be on our, on our lineup. 
Because make no mistake, you know, fight is the, as far as streaming content content for combat sports, they're the premier in the world, in my opinion. I mean, we're just so happy. Yeah, we're just so happy to be uh, be a part of that prestigious lineup. And, you know, we worked with them for several months before we got everything exactly right, exactly where it needed to be. We had to have our, our production at a certain level because, you know, they're not they're just not going to put anything up there. Um, you know, put every put something on fight that, that they can't be proud that fight viewers will will look at. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it also helped that we're different. We're, you know, when we sat down with our, when we started our TV product, we said, you know what, guys, we can't out WWE, WWE. Yeah. We can't be another, you know, another MLW, which I, I'll say this. I love MLW. I, I think they're, they're one of my favorite products to watch. I think they're fantastic. Um, but we can't be them. Now, will I watch every every bit of it I can and, and and glean some ideas and some techniques and and pick up some things that I like from all of these and and incorporate some of the things that they do really well in tire shares? Absolutely, I will. I, you know, I'll tell Court Bauer. You know, I've told him before, Court. Hey, I'm stealing that. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really like. I used to listen to Court and uh, John Pollock post now post wrestling. Um, religiously, I think I think they did maybe weekly shows, but um, I've not met Court. I've met John Pollock a few times, but I, I really like Court. He's such a, such a good guy. I almost feel like it's. It, 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 I've seen a few of their shows, and I just think they're great. I almost think I just wish, kind of wish they'd been around maybe a couple of years earlier and had some, so I had a chance to work with some of the talent now that's just sort of sort of locked down with WWE or AEW. But yeah, I, I think he's such, he's such a good guy, and he comes off so well in everything you hear of him. Yeah, and so you know. Um so as far as the fight, you know, you have to, you have to, in addition to putting a good product out, you have to convince them that you're dedicated, that you're mm-hmm. there for the long haul, that you're not, you know, that you're not going under tomorrow. And, you know, with this lockdown, with this pandemic, you know, I, I think that there's probably a lot of, of, of small promotions, a lot of indie promotions that are probably not going to come back after this. Yeah. And it's really sad. Yeah. Now we're, we're at a financial standpoint where we're going to be okay, mainly because we don't yeah. owe anybody a bunch of money. Um, but every independent and every small promotion that's trying to grow, they can't say that. They can't say that you know we're going to be okay because we don't owe a bunch. You know we don't owe a bunch of money. Yeah, but that's that's yeah. where we're at. We're we're very fortunate, and very blessed to be in that position. How are the what, what is the the situation with with you um, you guys where, where you're living now in terms of, sort of lockdown? What sort of guidance are you? I'm just interested because obviously this is it's very very different everywhere in the world. So how are things there at the moment? You know the the biggest thing is uh, I, I'm in South Mississippi and and we're we're you know we're pretty conservative state here. We're pretty um, you know um, we you know. We wouldn't, we wouldn't take a severe lockdown as well as, as, as folks in a lot of places. You know, they, there's a, in Mississippi, it's kind of like, um, you know, movement is for essential workers only. And then who's an essential worker? And it's like, well, almost everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, we don't have huge numbers of, of viruses and deaths here locally, kind of where I'm at. 
I live in a more rural area where there's a lot of fresh air, a lot of sunshine, a lot of trees around, uh, a lot of acreage and not a whole lot of people. So, yeah. but you know, um, during my shoot job, I do work for a large financial institution. Mm. And I think in our, in our facility where I'm at, um, you know, I think have right at 500 people in the building. And I think I, uh, all but 32 of us are working from home now. It's mainly just management that is left in the building. Well, so, I think that, that makes sense to me, if, if you can. I mean, funny enough, I'm, I'm in the same same line as work as you, and we're, we're considered sort of essential key work, as they call it. Mm-hmm. So we're doing like skeleton skeleton in office staff. But, um, yeah, it's pretty – I mean, I, I um, speaking to a gentleman a couple of weeks ago who's, who's in Oklahoma, and it's, it's sort of similar. I think that the thing that is very different about um, – the states, obviously, even state by state, it's just the, the, the vast space. Whereas, obviously, here in London, we are um, getting it about as badly as anywhere at the moment. So, oh, so I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, my wife, we're on the outskirts of London. We've thankfully we've got a little garden, so we are we've been working home for the last basically. I think my wife's been home for maybe four weeks, and I've been three and a half. Um, I am in this week, but thankfully, I can drive to the office about half an hour park, walk in, stay for eight hours, walk out, come back home. So touch wood my risk is pretty low doing that and there would only be one sure. person in the office but yeah it's, it's it's um it's pretty awful isn't it and i don't i don't i i think in terms of sports and stuff i don't know people you've heard of in terms of uh you know u.s football and basketball and baseball etc but i just don't see how things can come back until we've got a got a vaccine really because i, I do just think even if even if 50 percent of the population's had it then i don't, I don't know what what do you do with the other 50 percent that hasn't had it when maybe everyone's got to go and start but then by the same token, the economy needs people to start, you know, going back out again at, at some point. So it's pretty, pretty scary in terms of not knowing what's going to happen. It, it is. And, and but at the same time, um, you know, we're going to have a cure that's so much worse than the disease itself if we don't get things going mm, back yeah. uh, at, at some point pretty quickly. Because if you're in the financial sector, uh, much like I am, um, you know, our clients are being absolutely crushed. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It can't. It can't go on forever. Um. That's right. Let's let's. I tell you what, Lane. Let's move away from um the 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 situation the world has found itself in. Let's talk about something a bit more upbeat. So let's have a chat about the uh what is the May twelfth, nineteen eighty four episode of Mid South Wrestling. That is episode two four four on YouTube. So please please jump awesome. in. I'll, I'll, Please jump in as and when, um, and I will I will I'll get your thoughts. We run through this segment by segment. So um, we start off at the desk with Jim Ross and the returning Joel Watts. Um, so I think this is Joel's second appearance. Um, oh, and, and he is group. he is and he is just as bad in the second appearance as he was <laughs> in the first. Good gracious! Yeah, he was a little bit wooden last week. Um, I wonder. I wonder. Um, you know. Um, if anybody didn't know why he's there, just read his last name. Um, <laughs> I mean, it must be. It must have been. I don't know. If I, I mean, if I was, if I had a son and he was, and I, I also had a wrestling promotion. I mean, I can understand maybe by putting him on air. But I would be. I would be a tough. That'd be a tough conversation at the end of these two episodes. Which, what do you say to him? Because he was. I mean, yeah. I thought he was awful last week, and he was a little bit better this week, but not much better. And you understand that that prior to this. He had been he had been one of the cameramen. 
and, and that had been his role for uh, for Mid South up until this point, and by all indications was a fairly decent cameraman. Um, mm. You know, everybody has has a role to play, but I, I think that 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 Bill Watts would have served his son much much better if he slid him into some interview segments, do a few things like that instead of putting him on the air beside. Although a very young, but a absolutely fantastic Jim Ross, and you know, I, I, I you know, watching through this episode and the one before, I, I really did wonder um, if Ross just wanted to reach over and choke him from time to time, <laughs> get some life out of him, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you know what became? Because I'm just just looking at him on um, CageMatch.net, um, which is. Well, I, I find most sort of do a lot of research for this, this show on here. Um, but I, he, he commentated for a lot of, not every week, but a lot of shows um, up to around the end of 85 and then and sort of disappeared. Do, do you know what became of Joel Watts? Because I, I, he didn't have any matches, did he? I don't, so I, no, I he, he didn't. You know, Eric became, you know, Eric became a wrestler, um, the other son of Bill Watts. And mm-hmm. after his time playing American football at uh, University of Louisville, um, but Joel, I, I would just kind of assume that Joel would have went back to his production roles. Um, yeah, because, yeah. you know, he kind of alludes to it. He kind of alludes to it here, uh, in these two episodes where he talks about, I shot some videos. Well, that's what he did. These video packages that you see, that's what he did. And that's what he was good at at that time. And make no mistake, these videos that we're seeing here, as cheesy as, and dated as they look with the, you know, with the Rock and Roll Express and then some with Magnum TA uh, later on. As cheesy as these look, man, this was cutting edge in 1984. Oh, 100%. I've loved these videos. And, he, I mean, and, I and, and Watts was really good at this. So I, I've just always assumed that, that he went back into that role because, you know, you can see from, you know, over the next two years, their production value continues to get better. Yeah, absolutely. I've just I've just done a quick search for him, and I know, again, this this could be very. This is from a forum posted in December two thousand, so it's quite incredible to see him still active. And um, but someone said that he, they thought that he went to the WWF for a while. Um, I don't know about that. I think that if he had, that would be out there. I think. Um, but then they, it, it wouldn't surprise me. If, it wouldn't surprise me if he did because he, yeah. you know, from a production value, a, a behind the scenes guy, you know, um, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. I just wonder. I would have thought that if 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 that if that had happened, um, that it would have been in Bill Watts's book, which I haven't read, which is on the way to me at the moment. Perhaps it is in there, or it would have been in one of the Bruce Pritchard podcasts, where his name would have come up somewhere. I would have thought because mm-hmm. I presume it would have been late eighties. But he goes and say last he heard he was working in non wrestling TV production in Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, who who knows? But, I, but yeah, I, if yeah. he's, I, I have no doubt that he's somewhere doing TV production because from yeah. from a from a production standpoint, in 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 the early eighties, he was very very good. Yeah, clearly clearly had a skill, didn't he? Definitely. Um, so Ross says right at the top that we need to update people on some things. Last week they said that Kerry Von Erich would be there, but unfortunately cannot make his appearance. He won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship and event at Texas Stadium, which is the David Von Eric Memorial Show mm-hmm. um, from Rick Flair. And that was six days before this aired, um, and now he's had to take on additional commitments. I was a bit gutted about this because when I heard last week that he was coming on, I didn't know for sure the dates, but I looked it up and thought, well, he's going to be he's going to have the NWA Championship with him. Um, but obviously, it didn't fit. Can you recall? Did they ever have the NWA Champion on the Mid South Television with the belt? 
I don't recall if they did. Uh, I do recall, you know, th- that they would come in for the bigger house shows, uh, like when they would, you know, would, when they would run, uh, the Coliseum Al- Alexandria or, or Shreveport, you know, they actually did some Shreveport and some shows in Shreveport at the Liberty Bowl. Uh, and, and they, you know, remember, uh, Mid-South at this period of time, um, was no longer a member of the NWA. They had, they had been in the past. Um, and which meant they had some working agreements. They, they did some things, uh, but they were not a full fledged member of the NWA, uh, you know, like Jim Crockett Productions was, like, um, um, like St. Louis was. I can't remember who was the promoter there at St. Louis at the time, like, uh, Championship Wrestling out of Florida. You know, those were, were still full fledged members of the NWA. Mid-South yeah. at this time wasn't. Yeah, so, so they, 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 they talk about these titles and stuff. They don't, it's, it's kind of, it's just, it's, it's a loose affiliation. And they, what, there was some, some tape, um, just after this from Jim, Jim Crockett promotion. So yeah, I, I think they were getting on clearly, but obviously not, not a fully fledged part right. of it. And Jim Ross has said on commentary a few times that, um, the North America, and I, I love Ross for this because he's so good at this and he always has been. Um, but he puts over the sort of the North American championship being like the number one title in the United States and all this sort of stuff. And I always think that he's so good at that. Um, which is obviously, you know, in, in contravention with the, if you were a, a regional promotion and you're pushing towards angles with the world champion that came, came in occasionally, that's obviously a bit different to this because it's all about the North American title. Oh, um, sure. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Which it should be really, which, which I, I think, I think it makes it even better. Um, so Ross, Ross says that he's known, uh, sorry, Ross says that the Watts family have known the Von Erichs for a long time. Joel adds that he's very proud of Kerry and he did a heck of a job in the match. And Ross says that the family have had a lot of problems with the death of David Von Erich, but he's very happy Kerry won the title. Um, so we have lots in store during this week's show. We've got Steve Williams, Hacksaw Butch Reed, the Midnight Express, and a monumental announcement by Jim Cornette. Uh, Magnum T.A. versus a newcomer called The Shadow, plus Kasha Khrushchev defending the TV title against Terry Taylor, and Mr. Wrestling 2 is here. Um, so we're going to move on now to something that's been um, quite a feature of these uh, these episodes over the last couple of weeks. It's Ross updates on the super date at the Superdome competition. So can you remember this one from, from the time? I do. I actually, I, I so, do remember this. And, and you know, mm. one of the things, and, and look, again, we're looking through this with a lens from, from a, from a 2020 viewpoint. But one of the things that Watts did really, really well, and one of the things that he believed in was his baby faces. He built them up like they were rock stars. Yeah. And at this period of time in the eighties, it was, I mean, there were several bands that, you know, um, Van Halen with David Lee Roth. They were doing these same exact kind of win a date things. Oh, really? Were they actually? Yes. I didn't know so that. So this yeah, is yeah. not, okay. this is not for, for the time period. This is not unheard of. This is not something that they just, you know, this is not some, you know, wrestling silliness that they just pulled out. You know, U.S. rock bands at the time, they were doing these kind of promos with fans. Ah, how interesting. Okay. So, so that, 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 so that a lot of context to this then. Yeah. So, you know, adding that context, um, you know, and, and I believe Ross said on a, on a podcast not too long ago when they were talking about this, they had like 25,000 like, entrants for right. this. 
<laughs> wow. I mean, I thought it would be huge. I, I actually I said a lot. I said last year, I know that there's going to be thousands and thousands of entries to this. But I mean, yeah, that, that's quite, quite unbelievable, isn't it? Well, and, and you know, if you take a minute and go down and you slow down these episodes and you start looking at the crowds at these TV tapings, mm. start start looking at how many of them are young women. Yes. Yep. Yep. That was a huge, huge part of the fan base for not only Mid South but for a lot of the other regional territories uh, in the U.S. At this time, it was a you know they were going out to see. You know, these good looking guys. Um, and, and there were a lot, and, and that was a, that was a focus, that was a focal point for their marketing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, Dave Mills was talking about this as well. I think he, um, there aren't any real young, sort of younger, good looking guys that get pushed really wrestling. There's a little bit in AEW coming through, but not, not at a high, high level. But actually here, you've got Magnum, you've got the Rock and Roll Express, you've got Terry Taylor, and it's actually, it's the old guys want to be with them, the ladies want to be with them, and that, and that is the ultimate value face, isn't it? That, that's what, mm-hmm. that's what, that, what, if you get that, like The Rock, like Steve Austin, to, I think, yeah, Steve Austin's certainly in that cat that as well. Um, I think you've hit gold, haven't you? And that, and that's what they had. And I think if you can get the, the, if you can get a collection of over baby faces all at the same time, then you're on, you're onto something. And I think that's exactly what they had here. Um, so Ross take, updates us on the Super Day of the Superman competition, um, and Joel adds that he's taking his girlfriend to New Orleans, and it's probably the best place in America to take a date. Um, and he adds that this date will be chaperoned, but any girl will have a great time, and that Ricky and Robert are great guys. Um, and then we get a really good video package about the Super Date with the words up in lights as if on a marquee. Um, they go, this goes through who is eligible, and it always makes me laugh when they say the unmarried, uh, over 18, but especially the unmarried. I don't know how they're going to check that. And I bet, I bet in that 25,000, there were some ladies that were a little bit naughty and, and, uh, entering, even though they, they might have had a ring on their finger. Um, there you go. The, yeah, they went through the, the prize, the prize details and how you entered. Um, but yeah, this is, this is just, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's, 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 it's very well done. And I find that interesting. This is not a, you know, a mid south original, and actually, this was a, this was a thing that was that was happening. So, I mean, I guess for, for, from a from a um, from a collection of data perspective, and I remember maybe Bruce Pritchard talking about this when they did the angle with Hulk Hogan in 1990. I think they probably did it before, where he was out injured, um, and they encouraged everyone to write in letters of uh, you know, get well soon, Hulk's the kind of thing. And the reason they did it is because they, that basically gave them loads and loads of addresses that they could market their um, their catalogs and merchandise to. I, w- I wonder yep. if there was an element of that to this. I, I don't know if you remember if there's any mid-south. You know, there you know, very well could have been because one of the interesting things, um, one of the interesting things is when, when a wrestler was in mid-south, um, Watts produced and sold all the merch. Okay. Yeah. And, and they got a cut out of everything that was sold, and that's one of the things um, is is whether you were a heel or a babyface, you got a merch cut. Okay. Because, because back in those days, the heels didn't sell merch, mm. but your babies weren't going to sell nearly as much merch without a great heel. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a much fairer way of doing it, actually. So. Um, yeah. So basically, everybody. Got a got a percentage of the merch sales. Hmm. Yeah, because you're not going to sell too many Crusher Khrushchev I Love Russia shirts, really. In, not in '84. Uh, no, 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 no. As, as amusing they are, as he got, he obviously got someone to to to, to um, produce these these shirts. I always find that hilarious when he's he didn't have it on this week, 
but there's a blue one that he wears with I love I love CCCP on it. I think it is. I'm just thinking, where did, who went? Whose job was it in Mid South Wrestling to go and get this T-shirt made? It's just like well, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, um, Stephen, uh, Watts owned a T-shirt shop. He did all his own oh, produ- merch production. Yes. Oh, okay, so he probably did it himself then. Well, that makes, makes makes complete sense then. But that was yeah, that was just just hilarious and just just I think I love little bits like that bad guys just like that little added nice touch just to just to get the fans even more irate. oh absolutely and, and that's and, and really honestly that's some of the some of the psychology that that i wish we would see more of today yeah because you i, I tell you what he tell you does does do a good job of that still and that's jericho in AEW. so he is a um he is a proper heel even to the point of, funnily enough, I bumped into him in Tokyo when he was out there for the Tokyo Dome show. And I, I bumped into him twice. And the first time, I was really bumbly and really nervous. And I said, oh, would you mind if I could get a picture, please? He's just like, no, not taking any pictures. Sorry, kind of thing. I was like, oh, I'm absolutely devastated. What an awful interaction. Luckily, I bumped into him in the lift of, a, of the, ho- the hotel at the place where we were staying as well. And they had like a two or three minute chat that kind of, avenged the thing before but it's just thinking like what what like what an old school guy like brilliant he didn't do it in a nasty way horrible way it's like no pictures i'm not having my face to heal on someone's instagram or twitter where loads of people can see it. it's just like brilliant and he doesn't go out there to try and get cheers and i think that that's the thing you need to be a, if you're going to be a heel be a heel and i think you know yeah absolutely yeah. if you're going to be a heel be an mjf heel yes yeah, yeah, yeah exactly another great example as well definitely just you, you do not want to be cheered and I think that that is obviously an art form in of itself, especially now where you know the fans are desperate to desperate to cheer some of these guys. It's like no, you know, no, and they they do more often than not get them. Um, so back back from the package, Ross says that they've had thousands of entries already. So please do get your entries in. He then switches gears and says that Mid South is the new is, sorry Mid South is the hotbed of pro wrestling, and several new stars will be coming in. One is Jay Youngblood. And Bill Watts has narrated a match with him and Doug Vines. Um, Watts informs us this is courtesy of Jim Crockett Promotions, and he's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Watts adds that he and his partner, Ricky Steamboat, won the World Tag Team Titles at Giants Spectacular and um, Starcade last Thanksgiving. But Ricky has decided to retire and focus on his gym business. Do, I don't have any knowledge of this at all. Um, did you remember this at all? I, I don't know. I guess, I guess Jim Crockett probably wasn't on around this time where you were, but I had no knowledge that Steamboat was... Did they did a retirement angle or so or anything at the time? I, I, I was uh, I was not aware of that either. I, I, and when I when I heard that, you know, when I was watching through this, you know, watching through the match before uh, over the weekend, you know, I, I kind of snickered to myself. I said, "Well, that's interesting." And, and yeah. just kind of, but but you could get away with all that kind of stuff back then. Yeah, you you, you, you could say you could say some dude's retired and he's just working in Portland. Well, yeah. So I, I actually looked. So he had a Ricky had about a month off from Mid-Atlantic before taking part in an all-Japan tour at the end of February, 84. And then he was back in Mid-Atlantic two weeks later, and he did a 60-minute draw with Ric Flair and Greensboro. Um, then he was gone for another month, um, and he, then he returned full-time after that. He won the United States Championship with Nick Slater in his first night back, and back in Greensboro. And he was basically full-time with Jim Crockett all the way through to, uh, I think he, he had his last match maybe three days before his WF debut, so he was, he was full-time there from then. But I know that... But over the years was um, was a little bit in and out with things, wasn't it? I, I know I know that's why he lost the IC title in WF. He wanted some time off, so perhaps it was just one of these things. Yeah, he wanted some time off, and that was that was that. Um, I don't. I've never seen much of Jay Youngblood actually. Did you, do you have him? Because I know I'm, I know unfortunately he wasn't around for too much longer after this. 
Do you, do you no, have any sort of memories of Jay? I, I remember the name. I remember mm. the name, but as far as remembering anything of substance that that um, that went on with Youngblood during his Mid South run, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, but I really do like right. how they. I really do like how they introduced him to the fan base through this through this um, this narration with Watts. I, I did think that was really well done. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You're showing him winning a match. Um, and ultimately, you know, full crowd in the background, looks like a star. It was against someone I think the Mid-South people, would have, you know, Mid-South viewers would be familiar with as well. Um, so, yeah, really, really good. I was the same with Jay. I don't think I'd ever seen him in, in action. I've heard his, heard his name before as a tag team with Ricky Steamboat. Um, but he unfortunately um, passed away age 30 um, on a wrestling tour in, um, in Australia, um, wow. which, was, which was really sad. Um, September 85, so, so just a little bit over 18 months after this. Um, or a little bit less than 18 months after, so it's a really sad start. So um, they show um, Youngblood winning this match um, with the Watts commentary, um, and Ross says they're looking forward to seeing him in a couple of weeks' time. Um, so in ring, um, so you're, you're saying that there's never been someone in SWA that's worn a suit jacket like Boyd Pierce had in, in ring here, because this, this thing was it's, it's absolutely a, unbelievable. It's a work of art. That's all <laughs> I can say. It's a work of art. The, the thing that I'm not sure what the best bit about it was, the fact that he, he managed to pull off this blue jacket with yellow flowers all over it, or that he paired it with orange trousers that he, that must have clashed with the yellow. I just, I just don't understand. But that oh, is definitely a, a seven-star jacket from Boyd. Just gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Um, so the first match today, we've got Steve Brinson versus Dr. Death Steve Williams um, making his return. So I guess Steve Williams, again, sort of really big star around this time with, um, you know, being involved in, in football and also sort of coming back to wrestling. I guess he was, he was quite popular at the time. Well, yeah, uh, he was he was quite popular for a couple of reasons. Number one, he played for Watson and Jr.'s you know favorite college football team. Yeah, uh, yep. you know the University of Oklahoma was uh, was offensive lineman there, four time All American, also a four time All American collegiate wrestler. Um, you know all the credentials in the world. Uh, I think a different part. I think it, that was a bigger deal in some parts of the territory in Oklahoma, Texas. I think it meant a lot more than it did in Louisiana, Mississippi, but. Yep, yep. Um, you know, he was still, he was still pretty impressive coming in. And, you know, he's, he is just a kid here. I mean, th- yes. literally, yeah. he walked off of, he walked off of the, you know, of, off the stage with his diploma at Oklahoma and right into, you know, the mid card at Mid-South Wrestling. And, and these guys were making really good money at this time in Mid-South. I mean, people don't realize that, but they, they were making huge money for 1984. Yeah, oh, big time. He was 24, um, just about to turn 25 during during this taping, and he'd just come off, I think, his first season in the USFL as well. Um, mm-hmm. Ten appearances that that year. So yeah, really young. I mean, you just don't you don't get 24 year old guys particularly in in prominent positions in promotions now. So and I think they're missing a trick with that. But yeah, he, he I think he looked I thought he looked great in this match. There's some good back and forth exchanges early on. Um, Williams catches Princeton a big bear hug um, before he fights back with an eye rake and some punches. Big backdrop from Williams before smashing Brinson with two tackles. I think Brinson took an incredible sort of flipping bump on one of these. Um, then he hits mm-hmm. the Oklahoma Stampede for the win in 132. What did you think of this one, um, this sort of quick squash with – well, I say squash. There was some back and forth at the start. But quick well, you know, one of the – you know, there there was not a, a ton uh, – if you go back and look at Mid-South traditionally, there were a lot of enhancement matches. But there were not just mm. a ton of absolute squash matches because a lot of the guys who were in these – Enhancement matches, uh, you know, 
were really, really good workers in Mid-South. If you couldn't work in Mid-South, um, you weren't, you weren't getting on TV. I mean, so these guys who, who they're bringing in, you know, to go up against their, 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 their mid-level and, and upper tier, um, competition on TV, these guys aren't household names or some of them are not household names yet but are really good, talented workers. And, and that's an example is is that Watts, when he did bring in these really young guys, whether it was a 24-year-old Steve Williams or, you know, later on, whether, you know, where it's, um, you know, Steve Borden and Jim Helwig uh, tag team, and he always put them against people that would make them look really good. And yes. you can't make a guy, you can't make a young guy look good if he's working a guy that can't work. Yeah, no, and Watts was phenomenal with that. I, I think that that's such that's such a key thing, isn't it? Accentuate the positives and hide hide the negatives. And I think then you you can you can make stars. But if you're expecting expecting sort of really uh, inexperienced people to work with other really inexperienced people or people that can't make them look good, I think you're you're, you're it's a recipe for, for trouble, really. Especially if it's someone that's um you're, you're trying to push and you see some sort of potential upside with definitely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So after the break, Jim Ross throws an interview with Hacksaw Butch Reed. Um, this follows the painting of the junkyard dog angle last week. Um, Reed says he's the best black athlete that's ever lived, and he put the right colours on JYD because he describes him as a yellow dog. And um, They then recap the angle last week in full, and JYD was viciously attacked, ending up with paint all over his face, courtesy of Midnight Express and Butch Reed. What do you think of this? I think this is quite, I mean, it was well oh, this- done, but very vicious, wasn't it, this, uh, this angle? Oh, this, this is, this is such classic Bill Watts. I mean, this is, if you're, you know, if you're a fan of Mid-South, you know, looking back, or you were a contemporary fan of Mid-South, this is, this is, I mean, this is exactly what you get. There's a clear good guy, dog. There's a clear bad guy, uh, Butch Reed. Uh, they don't like each other, and for what, for whatever reasons, and now they're gonna fight it out. And it's, yeah. it's nothing overly complex. But like you said, it makes sense, and the fans absolutely love it because you got two big guys who just want to beat each other up. Absolutely. Um, so back from the recap um, to Reed with Ross. Uh, Ross says it's a very sorry situation. Reed says that everyone has seen the real deal, and that is Hacksaw Butch Reed. He says, look at his pretty face and his class from head to toe. Um, he also says that everyone knows that Junkyard Dog has two identities. There's JYD and Stagger Lee with a mask on. He says mm-hmm. he's going all the way back to the top, and he's going to be number one. He says that JYD could be Stagger Lee or JYD, but Butch Reed's always going to be nearby. I, th- I thought Reed was great here. I- I've actually been really, I only really knew him as like a kind of underneath guy in WWE, like a blower mid-carder, really. Um, but I, I just think he, he's got star written all over him. So what, what did you think of Reed here? Oh, he does. It, it, well, Reed, Reed, Reed was fantastic. He's dressed to the nines. He's got on a yeah. great suit. I mean, he can't compete with Boyd Pierce, but he's got on a great <laughs> suit. Who can? He's got on the, he's got on the blue blocker sunglasses, uh, you know, the, the same ones that, that Arn Anderson was wearing throughout the 80s. The guy's dressed to the nines. He can talk. He's built. I mean, he, you can see how ripped up he is. I mean, yeah. this is a guy that's a 600-pound bench presser. I mean, he is, he's when, the, when this is being filmed, he's not, what, a year or two, maybe three out of playing in the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, um, you know, he was very much of a name that people recognized. And, um, you know, he was being built into a fantastic heel at this point. Um, that's one of the things that Watts did so well was build characters. 
Yeah, and, and I, I completely agree. I think that the thing I probably like the most of many things with Watts is he it's just this, these clear lines in terms of who is who is a baby face and who is a. I'm being attacked by my cat. Sorry, while well, I'm just going to shoot him away. Sorry, it's very, very impolite. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. If you if we were on video here, you could have, you would have seen that, but uh, alas. And probably, probably better. Are you, are you more of a dog person or a cat person or neither? Person? Yeah, we're 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 dog folks. I've got I've yeah. got the terriers <laughs> are hanging out here with me today. Oh, very nice. I really I've always had cats, but I really like dogs as well. But I'm I'm hoping at some point to be able to have a dog and a cat when we're perhaps when we're in retirement and we've got a bit more time. But cats are a little bit easier going when we're out of the house all day long. But back to back to mid south after that that little break. So. Um, in ring, we've got Hacksaw Butchery versus Al Scott, and um, Joel states that he thinks that Al has his hands full here. Um, he also says that when he was out, this is really good actually, this next bit. He says, he says when he was out making a video on Butch Reed, um, Reed thought he was out of shape, but was still benching 600 pounds. I had to look this up. We've got a really weird system in the in the UK um, in, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of our... So we we are imperial to a certain extent, but we're also not... So this is how confusing it is for, for kids growing up in the UK. So if you said to me someone was, let's say, two metres, because that's the, that's the um, social distancing thing that's going around the world. If you said to me someone was like one metre, 75 to I wouldn't be able to tell you what that was. But if you said, oh, he's six foot, you know, I completely understand that. Or if you say, do we use stones of pounds? So 14 yeah, pounds of stones. stones. So, that's always confused yeah. to me. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's kind of the same system. So if you, if you say... Um, 14 stone, it would be 14 times 14. So if you said 250 pounds, I could work it out. And it's fairly easy to do. So it's still the same system. But for going to the gym, if you said to me someone benched 200 pounds, I wouldn't know what that was because everything in the gym is kilos. So And also if you go to a shop, mm-hmm. it's kilos of, uh, kilos of sugar, it's litres of um, you know water or whatever. And also on the road, it's miles and not kilometres. So everywhere else pretty much is... Uh, if you go to Australia, it's all kilometres, it's all metric, uh, anywhere else in Europe. But we've still got this really bizarre system where we use a little bit of one, a little bit of the other. So but I did convert this 600 pounds. That's 272 kilos, which is about three times more than I've ever achieved, which I think is just absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, what, what a strong guy this was. Um, this was a total mauling with Reed on top throughout. And he hits his big gorilla slam and a flying tackle, uh, which Ross describes as a slingshot for the win in 142. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think of this one with, um, with Butch Reed sort of pretty dominant here? You know, th- this is one of the, one of the times that you, you do see a, a, a squash match because there was absolutely, um, Al got in absolutely no, uh, offense on this one. Uh, he ba- basically played the punching bag, but they, when you did see a squash match in, um, Mid-South, it was typically gonna be by a monster hill. And, yep. and the purpose yep. was showing is, is you've got Al here who's, you know, he's, he's pretty good looking athlete. You know, six foot one, 215 pounds, fairly yeah, well built, yep. quick athletic guy. And, and the, and, and the message that they're trying to get across here is, this guy who looks a whole lot better than 90% of you fans out there watching this just got squashed in two minutes by Butch Reed. He's a yes. bad dude. Yes. I mean, that's the Absolutely. simple message that they're trying to get across here, and that's exactly what they did. That's a really good point, actually, and you're absolutely right. Um, the squash, the, the big-time squashes are heels, are heels, aren't they? The baby yes. faces usually get jumped by someone, and they're on top, and they come back. But, yeah, that's a really good... 
an interesting plot device that I hadn't I hadn't noticed actually. But that 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 makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? In terms of the way they the big bad heel that's got to be ultimately beaten and vanquished by the babyface is the one that takes these guys apart. So that's, that makes really good, really complete sense. Um, so back from the break, Ross says that Cornet has some pre-taped comments that are some of the most monumental, not just in the history of Mid South, but in the history of all wrestling. So we cut to Jim Cornet. Um, who's here today to say that the Midnight Express have been, have been unscrupulously cheated out of the Mid-South Tag Team titles. They were on the list they wouldn't face in their contract, and the Rock and Roll Express stole the outfits of Mr. Wrestling 1 and Mr. Wrestling 2 to get in the match, and they wouldn't agree to a rematch thereafter. Um, Cornette has spoken to his mother. Every time he says he spoke to his mother, it just amuses me. I think that's such a brilliant plot point that, that his mother's rich, and he, he, gets, he, gets his mother, he gets his money from his mother. She has transferred a lot of money, $50,000 to his bank account. And he's going to offer that for a return title match. They will find out what Junkyard Dog, Bill Watts and Magnum TA did. You may be able to put something over on Jim Cornette, but he will always have the final word. What do you think of this promo? You know, uh, it was classic Jim Cornette. And, and you know, mm. one of the most interesting things is, is the, the blurred lines with reality, because Cornette's family was pretty well off. I mean, his mm. his his dad owned the newspaper in Louisville, Kentucky, before he passed away, passed away when Jim was very young. But the family uh, the family did have money and, and still does have money. Um, you know, in addition to what, what Cornette has, has earned for, you know, himself over the years. Uh, so there's, uh, there's always a little bit of truth in the, uh, in the rich mother, uh, angle, uh, with Mama Cornette. Uh, but it, it was just classic. And I really, I remember the, the $50,000, uh, match, you know, this, this whole angle. I remember it from when I was growing up because I was such a huge fan of the rock and roll and such a huge fan of, you know, this, rivalry between the rock and roll and the Midnight Express. So I absolutely remember this going on. Yeah, Cornette is 22 years old in this, this, uh, this piece, which is just, I mean, that's mind, mind-boggling. This guy is so, so confident, so polished. And again, I, I hearken back to this earlier on, a 22-year-old manager, you know, and, and I think Jim Cornette, certainly in, the, in this sort of modern era, you've got to put him up there with Heenan, um, who else is there? It's probably someone really obvious that I'm missing. But he, he's got he's got to be um, you know Mount Rushmore of managers in the modern era. I can't you know I can't, is there any, anyone else? Oh else no question. I mean mind? yeah, oh, I probably Paulie. Paulie. Yeah, Paulie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so and I can't think of a fourth. But yeah, he's just phenomenal. But a 22 year old manager is not getting a chance to speak to speak to someone now. No way. Um, yeah, I thought this was, this was really really great. So we've got the Midnight Express versus Lanny Popper and Mike Jackson. And Lanny appeared like he was going to get quite a decent push a little while ago, and they were they were this, he was initially involved in the Magnum TA and Mr Wrestling Two angle, um, but mm-hmm. uh, and also Randy Savage made a brief appearance, but his his push has really ground to a complete halt, and he's pretty much an enhancement role now. Um, so, any, you any know, thoughts on Popo? Yeah, there's a couple of things in here, and this goes back to one of the things that I was saying earlier about how Watts structured things. Okay, um, Lanny's not getting any push here. Uh, and you've probably never heard of Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson, at this period of time, he was one of the guys in Mid-South that trained their young guys. He was one uh, of their okay. top yep. trainers. Yep. Now, Mike, um, you may or may not know this, Mike is still working today on the independent yes. circuits. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, um, I spoke to a gentleman that's a, that's a wrestler um, a number of weeks ago who I, I think he's quite good friends with him. I mentioned that he was st- he was still working, um, which which is um, which is incredible, isn't it? And I think it, it was it on is. one of the Jerry Janela Spring Break shows, I think maybe a couple of years back, I believe. Um, he very well could have been, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
Mike is good friends with uh, with our booker Steve Starr. Um, mm-hmm. Known each other for years and years and years. Um, but yeah, Mike is uh, and and Mike and when I say he's still working, I'm saying Mike can still work at 72. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Right. I mean so, that, that that just shows what the, the quality of a of a, of a worker to be able to, to be able to continue to do that so you know so so late you know and yeah. the interesting thing is when you look at this match here between these four, um, Dennis is the weakest worker out of the whole bunch, hmm. and, and you know he's the biggest star out of the out of the the four of them at this period of time. You know, Bobby is incredibly young right here. Bobby's probably 21, 22 max. Um, you know, so there, this is a, this is another example of, you know, Watts putting some of his top talent in with enhancement talent that can really enhance them. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought, again, this, there's some really good exchanges at the start of this one. Um, and I thought this was, this was, for a while it, while it lasted, I thought this was, this was a nice little encounter. And um, ultimately the Midnight Express hit Poffo with the move that became the heart attack for Brett and Jim, mm-hmm. um, a few short years after this, the win in, in one for six. And, and that's an interesting one as well. I wonder if they, I mean, I guess they probably did, they probably would have seen this or this would have got back and, they, and that this was chosen for a finisher. But I hadn't seen the Midnight Express win with this move before. They've got a couple of other, other ones they usually use. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, this, it's this not great, one of yeah. their. You know, it's a, it's not one of their uh, it's not one of their signature ones. It's not one of the ones that the you know it's not Bobby coming off the uh, you know off the top rope with the big knee, which mm-hmm. you know which is probably the one that that's in, in you know most in my mind. But yeah, it's uh um it was a it was a fun match. It was a good match, and uh you know it while while not take while I would not consider it a squash match, it's a match that didn't drag on. It was yeah, what it was, absolutely. and they got it, got it over with and got out. Yeah, quite. So next up, we have Magnum Scale versus The Shadow. Now, who is this Shadow? Do you have any idea? Man, I'm trying to think. <clears throat> hey, give me just a second. Let me grab a cup of water. See if you okay. cut. Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I was trying to find out who this, who this guy was, um, and I looked online, um, and I could not, I could not find... And any information on who this was, and I was I watched this entire match expecting that this was going to be an angle. And actually, this I thought initially this was Mr. Wrestling, um, but uh, but I don't think it was. So I think that would have been revealed if that if that was the case. Um, but yeah, a very a very odd one um, in terms of um, how this how this was terribly presented. sorry about that. That's that's okay. No worries at all. I just, um, just yeah, I live here about about the shadow. Mississippi. Yeah, I live here in South Mississippi, and the pollen falls like snow. So, oh, really? <laughs> oh, you're a hay fever sufferer. Oh, terribly, terribly. Yeah, I, I am too, but I'm touch touch wood so far. We're not quite. We have just had an unseasonably warm Easter actually, because it's been probably late seventies here. And actually, that's another thing we don't <coughs> use the uh, proper metrics for either. Um, so we use Celsius. But late late seventies Fahrenheit here over the weekend, but I, so I'm expecting the the attack any time soon now, which is something I look, I don't look forward to every year. So yeah, this um this guy the shadow, I, I wondered initially whether this was Mr. Wrestling just in a different mask because I thought his body type was similar. It, it um, but they didn't well reveal could. it, did they? Yeah. Oh, they never do. And, and you know that was a thing for Watts. If they had somebody that that was supposed to be on for you know for a TV show and they don't show up, he's got uh you know a duffel bag full of masks and trunks. 
and somebody's going to get handed and told, and told to go out. Did that happen this time? I don't know, <clears throat> but it very well could have. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting that I just could not could not find anything about this guy anywhere. And, and, actually, and honestly, on, it could have been one of Mike Jackson's students. Yeah, potentially because because it, it looked like an old. old I don't. I just don't. I just don't know. Even on the even on CageMatch.net where they link the matches, they've got all these matches. They, 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 this one is no. There's no links. Doesn't link to anything else, which is really really unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it, this is an interesting one because the, uh, the Shadow slaps Magnum before the bell. Um, and he's on top pretty much the whole early point of this match. Um, Ross says they've heard a lot about this man, and he has a great win loss record. Um, and he's all over Magnum, um, but he does need to get caught with the backslide and it kicks out on two. Uh, Magnum fires back with a great looking body slam, and um, then he nearly gets caught with an inside cradle. Um, Magnum's head is then run into the opposite turnbuckle in a bulldog position. I can't remember seeing that like that before. Um, Ross says on commentary that Magnum's in big trouble here, um, and it's quite obvious that Shadow is a well versed and experienced individual. Again, I just thought this is screaming angle that he was going to beat him, and then the, the, the mask can come off and reveal the white mask. But that didn't happen. Um, right. the Shadow, sla- Shadow slams Magnum, goes to the outside, but is caught um, by Magnum and brought in the hard way. Magnum then slams his head into the top turnbuckle and hits a monkey flip out of the other, and then he hits his great-looking belly-to-belly suplex to win 418. Um, the Shadow stumbles out the ring. Um, yeah, don't don't know who he is. Can't find out who he is. What did you think of this um, four-minute 18 encounter with Magnum? Um, these two? You know, a typical. Uh, you know, this was a this was a kind of a typical enhancement match. I've got it pulled up right now on the, um, you know, on the. Um, you know, on YouTube while we're looking at this. And, and, you know, once again, I can't help but, but look at all the young ladies on the first two or three rows. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not the, it's not the crowd you see today. But yeah, Magnum oh, TA, no, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, Magnum TA, he, he's the guy that's going to, you know, that they're really, you know, prepping for the push. He, he gets a nice win here over a guy who the fans are told is a, is a top, you know, is a top competitor and they have no way of, Disproving it. So, you know, you get the opportunity to, to build your guy, give him a nice win on TV, you know, had a little bit of a struggle there. Um, you know, not, uh, once again, it's a baby face. It's not a true squash. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're pushing him really nicely because last week they had quite a long match for Midtown, maybe seven minutes with him and Masahito where he pulled, really pulled it out for the win. And I think his, his, uh, North American title match, I think, is coming up at the Superdome show, mm-hmm. I believe, when, when the second is the Superdome. So that isn't too far away in the distance now for, for Magnum to get, getting his, his shot again at Mr. Wrestling. Um, so next up is the Mid-South TV title match between Krusha Khrushchev and Terry Taylor. And this is the rematch of the final of the tournament. But this time, Terry Taylor hasn't been pile-driven into the concrete by Butch Reed prior to the match. Um, yes. Taylor just gets such a great reaction here, uh, with lots of stars and stripes flags at ringside. Um, so this was this was a great this was great. Do you think they would have brought these flags with them, or would have Watts handed these out? Do you think? <clears throat> I think Watts would have sold them. I don't think he'd have handed yeah. them out. Oh yes, sold them absolutely. Yeah, what am I thinking? He would have sold them, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the right thing. Absolutely you're lucky right. to get you. You were lucky to get to breathe free air in a Bill Watts show. <laughs> So what's the question? How far? Oh no, no, it's a big state. How far is Shreveport away from where you are? Shreveport. Uh, let's see. 
Shreveport, you could get from my house to Shreveport in about four hours driving. Okay, so fair, a fair old whack, then, yeah. <clears throat> yes. So, so for us, that sounds, I know there's a lot more of a driving culture in America, but that sounds like a, a trip you wouldn't ever want to take. I suspect most American drivers, that's probably fairly small fry in the grand, grand scheme. Oh, of that's, a, probably like a, that's a short trip, basically. That's a weekender. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were like, oh, I, 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 let's get a train or something. We couldn't, couldn't, do, couldn't deal with that. Um, so there's some good action from both men here. And Taylor nearly catches Khrushchev early with a sunset flip. And um, Khrushchev brutally drops Taylor's face in the top right. Did you notice this one? I thought that like, this looked, you know, pretty devastating the way Taylor's face took this, um, took this, this top rope shot, basically. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Terry Taylor could sell anything like he's being shot. Being shot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he, he, he sold, he sold really, really, really well. Really well. Yeah, he, he certainly did. There's, there's another near fall from Taylor as he hits a flying crossbody. <laughs> um, I half expected Taylor to win this, actually. Um, and Khrushchev makes a mistake with his big, uh, with a big drop, um, body drop attempt. I lower mm-hmm. his head and Taylor takes over with a kick. And Taylor hits a big flying forearm out of the corner, but then unfortunately Volker Butchery hit the ring for the DQ in 331. And Reed tries to hit his swing shot move at the top rope, but he takes out Volker instead. And eventually, Dr. Death helps make the save. Uh, and Taylor and uh, Taylor and Williams basically embrace, and William and Taylor holds up, like holding up each other's arms. Interestingly, here, Williams says in the mic, if Khrushchev wants the TV title, um, he's going to have to take it and have to take it from him. So he puts the TV title medal, just a medal rather than a belt, yeah. around his neck, uh, which I thought was slightly heelish to steal a title like this. But I know that pretty much all bets are off when it comes to stuff like that. Um, in this angle with these sort of hated heels. So what did you think of this match and this uh, these post-match developments here? You know, the, 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 I did think that was really interesting. I didn't recall, um, you know, I did, you know, I know that, that there was an alliance with Taylor and Steve Williams in um, in Mid-South for, for a fairly short period of time. Um, but I, I didn't remember, you know, Doc actually putting the medal on. I don't know if that was something that was scripted in, if he was supposed to do that. Because, uh, remember, I mean, he's, he is so green right here. Um, you know, I, I'm really surprised, um, that he was even let have a mic at this point because that was one thing with, uh, with Watts, guys who he did not, he did not trust. They didn't get a live mic. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, 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 that makes, that makes a lot of sense really because I, th- I think that, um, maybe, maybe some of the non-televised stuff is a place to kind of cut your teeth with, with the microphone. I'm sure they sort of did that sort of stuff. Um, back from break, um, Jim Ross says that Mr. Wrestling and Mr. Wrestling 2 have prepared a statement. Uh, Mr. Wrestling is wearing a very snazzy jacket, and he says that the Rock and Roll Express stole their gear, their mask, and their match. They impersonated and embarrassed them. He wants to know what Mid-South are going to do about it. He threatens if they don't act immediately, they will settle things their way. Uh, Mr. Wrestling will not be held responsible for the outcome. Mid-South knows that they're right and the Rock and Roll Express is wrong. I thought this was really great for Mr. Wrestling here, and I think he has been really, really fantastic in everything I've seen on him. And what do you think of this little, uh, little backstage, backstage interview with uh, two Mr. Wrestlings here? You know, it, it was fantastic. It, it's classic, like you said. These guys, um, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they uh, pull out all the, the flamboyant jackets and everything, and then, then you know, you see them off, and then they have the straight white trunks and white and black and everything in the ring. Fantastic, classic, uh, classic old-school, traditional um, uh, promo, you know, setting an ultimatum for the, uh, you know, for the promoter. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've been wronged, and it's your fault. Yeah, Love exactly. It. Love it. Yeah. 
Completely great. Mr. Wrestling 2 must have the best, I've said this a few times, best facials of anyone that's ever worn a mask ever. His his body language is incredible. He, oh, yeah. You can see him snarling even though he's <clears> wearing a mask. It's just brilliant. It's so, so good. Oh, you um, see. The back it, yeah, he's so, oh, I don't know how he does it, but he, he, he's just incredible. Um, back in ring, we have a standby bout now between Mr. Wrestling 2, the future Hercules Sanders, and Big Bob Owens. Um, there's a nice little swinging neck break between Mr. Wrestling 2 here early in this one. Um, this only goes 57 seconds uh, in line with what we talked about earlier on in terms of this sort of big, nasty heels winning quickly. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 wins with an elbow drop. And we get, uh, sorry, any, any thoughts on this, this short match with uh, Mr. Wrestling 2? You know, it, 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 just, it just continues down that whole uh, Bill Watts playbook. How how he builds his monster heels, um, you know he puts them in matches. When you do see the squashes, it's it's the monster heels in the match, and, and, and there's 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 a point to be made here. These guys are really mad, and and they just beat up a you know a pretty tough looking dude. What's going to happen when they don't get their way? You know that's 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 what he's trying to tell the fans. That's, yeah, that's exactly. the message. And he's we got two very, big mean well. guys, and they're they're ready to hurt somebody. And I, I like I like the fact that woven into the storyline, you've got overlapping babyface and heel issues. So you've got mm-hmm. you've got the core of Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express. You've got the core of Mister Wrestling and Magnum. But then now also you've got you've got the two Mister Wrestlings and the Rock and Roll Express, and you've got different things. And I think that's a really that that, that that's a really good thing to have. And I think that that gives a reason for why the babyface save each other. Um, because they're, you know, I like that. Look, we're friends. We're on the right side of things. They're friends because they're on the wrong side of things. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I do really sure. like that element of it. Yeah. Um, so we get a recap again of the earlier Super Date at the Superdome video. Um, and Jim Ross reaffirms that it's going to be a really great time for two very lucky ladies. Joel says to be sure to send their very best photos in because they've had thousands of entry, entries. And we'll hear more about it next week, apparently, which I personally can't wait for. And um, next week, they'll have the signing for the highest dollar tag team match in the history of wrestling, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. Plus, we'll have Dr. Death, Steve Williams versus Nikolai Volkov. And that is it for episode 244. Um, so what did you think of this one overall, Lanny? Man, what a, what a fun trip back in time. You know, uh, a lot of nostalgia here for me. These are the guys that, that I grew up watching on, you know, every Saturday morning. The, you know, I knew every one of these guys, uh, even some of the enhancement guys, um, you know, really brought a, brought a, brought back a lot of memories and a lot of really good wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the show again. I enjoyed the Magnum match, uh, also the Dr. Steve Williams stuff. And um, Fear the Future continuing to bubble on, um, quite nicely. Um, and just looking forward to, looking forward to the segment for the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express next week, I'm sure which is going to be, um, really, really well done with um, Jim Cornette front and centre, I'm sure. And um, so, Lanny, please, um, please let, us, let everyone know where we can find you, and also um, people that want to check out the SWA Championship Wrestling shows oh. and where they're available <clears throat> as well. Oh, absolutely! You can find me on Twitter at uh, Lanny Mixon. That's L A N N Y M I X O N. And also, you can you can catch up with everything that we've got going on at SWA Promotions, so SWA Championship Wrestling, uh, on Twitter at wrestling uh swa and on facebook at swa promotions um more active for the uh for uh swa on on facebook we are growing our twitter and uh instagram following so uh encourage anybody wants to wants to check out some old school action kind of presented in a uh more up-to-date production value give us a chance we'd, we'd love to 
earn your viewership. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I probably watched, probably got a chance to watch about 15 minutes of one of the episodes, and I'm certainly going to go back and try and watch a bit more. But this is available on Fire. Am I right in thinking that, is it all of the episodes are available free on Fire? Is there certain all of the episodes are available on Fire, as well as uh, some of our special events, like our Summer All Slamboree and our recent Southern uh, Tag Team Tournament Championship. Great. I mean, that's, that's great. I, th- I think genuinely, if you're, if you're sort of into... Um, that sort of territorial um, presentation, but with up-to-date production qualities, um, this is this is something I th- I'm sure you're going to enjoy. And I'm certainly going to go back in and, and yeah. watch some more. And what best time to, to, to binge watch some wrestling than, than right now when you're spending probably people, most people listening to this are spending a lot more time at home than they would do previously. Hey. So give it and a go. The other- the other thing with us is that we, we're we're professional wrestling for the whole family. You can sit down with your kids, you can sit down with your grandmom, you can sit down with the whole family, and everybody in the family, if they like professional wrestling a little bit at all, they're all going to find something there that they're going to enjoy, and there's not going to be anything in the uh, in the program that you don't want your kids exposed to. No, that's great. That's great. Excellent, Annie. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I wish you, you and family sort of health, and I hope that you guys are back sort of promoting in front of a crowd before too long, and that we're all you know, back to normal and back to watching wrestling the way that we know and love. Thank you very much really for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, evening, please head over to iTunes yeah, where you can Danny, subscribe you so really and perhaps you'll even be hey, kind enough you, to take leave care. me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.